0: Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, West Vic PHN Hub COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. Series 6, Session 4. It's Thursday the 12th of August 2021. Welcome back to the Echo Network. This session's titled uh, Stepping Vaccine Priorities Part 3, Stepping Stones to 70%. Well. Since we met last week, we've come through the shortest regional lockdown in the state's record, and the Commonwealth have progressed from a policy, from having a vaccine strategy to a plan, or roadmap, as they've named it. Now, while a roadmap and a road journey still conjures up notions of vaccine horizons and something that we, you know, horizons, something that you never actually reach, I think things are looking more promising this in the month of August, with Pfizer supplies set to increase over the coming months in general practice, vaccine eligibility being expanded to include adolescents with underlying medical conditions and we have a new player on this metaphorical vaccine horizon. In this session, we're joined by the directors of both Grampian Public Health and Bowen Public Health units. Now, with things moving so fast around us that I think uh, we, I'm going to adopt a new uh, metaphor, if you like, that the path to vaccine coverage is a little bit more like a flowing river, more like a flowing river crossing, than, crossing than, than driving down a road. We've placed the first few stepping stones and we see the way the water flow has changed around them. Now we must place the next. When we think back you know, to those first few stones. I mean, I can barely remember almost what those stones were, but some of us will have really distinct memories of what it felt like when we first placed those first stones. But now we're at about the 25 to 30% of our population vaccinated. And I've invited both public health unit directors to reflect upon this question. Well, if the path to good population level coverage was crossing a shallow river, what would the placing of the next stepping stone look like? not how to get to 70, not how to get to 80, but just the next stepping stone. So that's our reflective piece, but we're also going to get right into all your vaccine questions. Um, We've got a great lineup coming. So as always, we're led by Kate Graham on um, health pathways. A lot's changed in the last couple of weeks and, um, you know, it'd be great to catch up with what's happening there. Um, we welcome Misha Coleman, co- um, co-director of the and Public Health Unit, to give us a Barwon public health update and that reflection of stepping stones to 70 in our region. Um, we're joined by Grampian's Public Health Unit uh, Director, Clinical Director, Associate Professor Rosemary Aldridge, to bring a Grampian's public health update and her reflection too. Now, Pfizer myocarditis, uh, you know, this piece, incidence, Early Recognition, Management in Primary Care, we're going to do, this is going to be a little bit on the fly for Callum. I don't know that um, I quite gave him the warning he might have needed, so we might um, make this a part one. Um, we've got a case. Thanks, to Anna Glue. I didn't get a chance to catch it with you either, but um, I've put just a question, don't give the game away. And um, We're going to unpack a case um, that came to Anna and then um, Linda's going to uh, provide a PHN update. Thanks, so with that, um, I think we'll just get straight underway. I'm going to hand across to you, Kate Graham. Good morning, everyone. Um,
1: it has been a really interesting week, and I'm sort of sure I'm with the rest of you. And I'm not sure what day it is, what time it is, what school uniforms the kids need to be in, or anything like that. So, in health pathways land, we've been busy as usual. Um, So since we've last talked, we've um, updated the vaccination procedure page. One of the main updates is that we've now got um, an area on cardiac conditions, um, including pericarditis and myocarditis. We've popped that in under, you sort of go down through the page and they've got overlying headings, vaccine clinic screening, eligibility assessment consent, assessment of vaccine suitability and risk, because I think that for most of us with a relatively rare condition, this is where we're going to sort of have the most questions. And that's really involving all the eligibility, sort of or not the eligibility, all the risk conditions that you need to take into account. Um, so all of that's included. I also wanted to flag to you all um, that the initial ATAGI um, and Cardiac Society combined document has been updated And that's now provided a lot more sort of guidance on um, which risk groups and how long prior um, things are a risk for. Also, um, a bit less reliance on referring everyone to cardiology and recognising the skill of GPs in being able to assess their patients Um, And also um, sort of flagging that the specialist immunisation services are a real resource for us for these questions. Other things that we've updated, um, we've obviously updated the 12 to 15-year-old eligibility. Just wanted to flag to everyone um, just one of the little um, points that we've been sort of finding as a bit of a sort of confusing point And that's the 12 to 15-year-olds with asthma. Um, In all the sort of official ATAGI and um, Commonwealth documentation, it does remain as severe asthma. I know that there was a provider bulletin that came out to vaccination practices that just did say asthma, but from a Commonwealth perspective and as GPs and Commonwealth respiratory clinics, um, it needs to be that severe asthma and not mild or moderate Where that then is a little bit of a confusing point is how you actually assess that and what proof you need of it. Obviously, if somebody's had um, ICU admissions or things like that, it's going to be um, really clear. But for people who don't have that, it's really important if you're sending somebody off to be vaccinated elsewhere, that you provide some good documentation in that letter and not just the standard printout that says asthma. So I think we've got a lot more to hear from today. So I'll hand back to you, Bianca, and to the rest of the team across Western Victoria um, so that we can learn some more about how to find our next stepping stones and not get our feet wet.
0: Thanks. Um, Now, KP or Katrina, do you mind throwing up that vaccine data slide? Um, I just wanted to start kind of with this because I think it's a really nice kind of introduction into where we're at now. Um, So what have we got? Um, There's a couple of things coming out, and thanks, Andy Giddy and Linda Govan, for, um, you know pointing me to these pieces of data I've put the links there so if you're someone who wants to kind of dig out the data um, maybe someone can tell us if there's something else that um, they like as well let's share that but um, you guys have been asking about data and vaccination rates and so here's what we've kind of got at the moment so um, by state Victoria you can see those shadow lines um, the blue being the the, I guess the gray being who's out there the blue being who's taken a vaccine and the orange being who's had their second. So it's looking interesting and a little bit slim in the hips for the 50 to 70 year olds. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to um, think about what's going on there, um, but 40s and Um, to 50 um, you know fattening up a bit there Um, and then when we look at our stats we've um, highlighted what's happening in our region and I just want to say I think we're smashing it so I think we need to round of applause our public health units all our GPs um, and everyone sending someone to a vaccine anyone who's had a conversation that's all of us. Um, Western Vic's looking fantastic so um uh, let's take a moment to reflect that's our first stepping stones 26.6 30 percent 27.5 out Warrnambool and we've got someone here from Warrnambool too Um, that's pretty great so that's where we're currently at a lot of work um, and a lot of things changing fast so with that I'm going to throw across to Misha Coleman um, to hear your update and to hear your thoughts about our next step thanks Misha
2: Thanks very much, Bianca, and good morning, um, everybody. So in terms of um, stepping stones, um, I've got three, Bianca, so more doses, more eligibility, and more candidate vaccines um, coming online. So um, this week we've had four areas of eligibility uh, open up. Um, so we've got the 18 to 39-year-olds um, with uh, with AstraZeneca um Uh, Eligibility, um, people with mental health conditions and clients of alcohol and drug services. That's the second cohort. The third, um, is Pfizer for 12 to 15 year olds um, and there's some subcategories in there and we we started our teenage clinics uh, yesterday so we're running um, a, a Wednesday, Friday and Saturday teenage clinic uh, at, a, at our Belmont site and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, and then the fourth um, area which was just opened up last night is the um, Uh, 18 to 39-year-olds with um, uh, underlying medical conditions who are now eligible for Pfizer. And I've put the link uh, to the Commonwealth Government website um, and that detail in the chat. Um, I, I guess the, the other aspect in terms of a stepping stone is um, uh, improved outbreak management. So at the moment, we have, um, I, or as you know, we had the um, outbreak related to, or the, the positive cases rather related to the Head School, which is now all clear. Um, we currently just have one positive case in our catchment in Lara, and that's one individual who's at home and self-isolating, but we continue to recruit into the our uh, contact tracing team, and in in, in um, sort of constant, sort of continuous learning mode because of that. There's a lot of updates um, with the epi system that we use to to manage um, the outbreaks. Oh, finally, um, just with regards to um, more candidate vaccines coming online, I think a real um, light at the end of the tunnel is Moderna coming into the system. So. Um, At this stage, um, in terms of the distribution um, side of Moderna, uh, there's been a conversation that it will be uh, distributed um, now through um, pharmacists, but there's really no detail around that and and the state-run services, um, I I think, well, I hope, will also be able to um, distribute Moderna. Um, And so then just finally... um, Sorry, I said finally twice. Um, with 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 the sort of number of doses. Uh so you might have seen in the, in the media that Victoria's um, got another 150,000 doses of Pfizer in the system over the next six weeks. And when that's broken down first and second dose um, and our um, sort of demographic um, allocations, that, that basically means about 4,000 additional first doses of Pfizer um, that we have to play with over the next six weeks. So I might um, stop there and Bianca and just see if there are any questions.
0: Yeah, great. So South Australia is starting to vaccinate 19 to 39-year-old group. When will Victoria include this age group?
2: Uh, you know that that, that um, all, all of the eligibility
0: criteria um,
2: comes through from what's called the Vaccine Operations Group at the State Department of Health, and at this stage we don't we don't have a horizon for that um, age group. But you know these things literally change overnight, so um, <laughs> I'll let the PHN know as soon as there's as soon as there's any news on that.
0: Okay, thanks. Um, can we, this is going to be a conversation that will circulate throughout the, um, you know, to anyone in the group, but I'm going to ask you to talk through eligibility with mental health conditions and how you're doing that. So many people claim eligibility. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are coming in and saying, oh, well, I've got mental health conditions, you know, post
2: pandemic. Can I get the injection? Oh,
0: <laughs> pandemic <laughs> so, created vaccination yeah. against their pandemic mental health so issue. On. So I think
2: we've got it answered by Kate. It's really severe mental health conditions. So presumably medicated people and with psychotic conditions or moderately severe depression, that kind of thing.
0: How are you doing this, Misha? How are you
2: managing oh, um, Yeah, so in that eligibility criteria that I included at the top of the chat, it's now got, you know, all of the, Updated eligibility. And, and so there are a range for underlying medical conditions. Um, in, the, in the categories such as mental health, there are it they're not exhaustive lists of underlying conditions. So for example, with the kids, um, we had uh, quite a few questions last week because um neurological conditions um were um well not, not the kids, um even 18 and above neurological conditions um were are one of the categories, and there was a non-exhaustive list of um, conditions, in, including epilepsy. So, really, um, from our from our perspective, if the um, if the general practitioner uh, sends a letter, um, you know, supporting the fact that um, your patient has, um, you know, one of the one of the qualifying conditions, we really don't we really don't interrogate um, any any further.
0: Mm. Can I can I ask you to talk a little bit about what you're doing with your um, Belmont Clinic and kids with some of the eligibility, new eligibility around kids? Yeah, sure. So um that just opened up this week, Monday, as you know, that
2: um eligibility window. So we've just got we just started with small clinics um Wednesday and Friday afternoon after school and Saturday morning. Um we, we're just sort of trialing that physical site. Um, to see how it goes because the eligibility really does refer to, um, you know, not, you know, underlying medical conditions. We were trying to um, sort of have a, a soft and, and safe space um, at the Ford site when it's really busy can be pretty overwhelming. And, you know, we've had with the with the uptick in um Uh, you know people coming in that the lines can you know take a while to get through the queues can be quite long so we sent out um an invitation via um pediatricians via the school principals Um, we didn't really have a great 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 capacity like a huge capacity so i think we filled up those bookings within I think, less than an hour of sending out that link. So um, in our planning for next week, we're, we're going to try and expand
0: that um, uh, the number of bookings. Yeah, great. And, um, and what do you need from GPs at this time in terms of referrals in? Um, how can we help, help our um, patients with that?
2: Yeah, it's really exactly the same as um, the criteria for adults um, with underlying medical conditions. It's just a letter. Saying that they have this, um, that, you know, saying that this condition exists uh, and we really um, don't need to see much more. Obviously, with the kids, there's a, a proof of age um, a requirement, or maybe not obviously, but that's one of the, the government directives. So, proof of age and a letter stating um, that the eligible condition is one that's being managed by the GP.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. All right, GPS. Any other questions about um, the eligibility for twelve to fifteen year olds? What's been coming up for you this week? Um, we can still kind of get into the nitty gritty of that. Kate Graham's been putting a few things in the chat, so Kate, I'm going to throw it to you to um, talk about the two, the couple of pieces you've popped in there.
1: Yeah. So um, I think, like, in terms of eligibility for mental health conditions, um, and under that criteria of severity, I've been sort of looking at that as you know, people who would struggle to sort of adhere to public health guidelines or struggle to manage their own sort of health conditions. So if you were severely um, affected by your mental health condition to the point where you may not um, be able to recognise or look after your health in the way that you should be able to, that's going to be obviously a risk factor for sort of severity of COVID. If you contracted COVID and you're not able to either adhere to public health directions Or if you're not able to actually recognise signs or symptoms um, because you're too unwell or if you have issues sort of leaving the house. Um, And I think that the other issue, the other sort of criteria that many severe mental health conditions would fall under is that assistance with activities of daily living. And I think, you know, there is that sort of looseness of interpretation around it. But I think that ultimately the guidance is around that more severe mental health condition at this point in time, um, recognising that we do have to sort of get the vaccinations across to a large number of other at-risk populations with medical conditions.
0: Thanks, Kate. Um, There's nonverbal and disabilities and consent. Any updates? Do you know if there's been any more work progressing that piece?
1: Um, yeah, look, I think there's there hasn't been sort of anything that we would see as different to any other consent process for an individual with disability um, or an individual who didn't otherwise have capacity to consent. Um, it's your sort of official decision maker um, would then be the person if you felt that the person who didn't have a verbal capacity to consent um, required sort of extra intervention. So nonverbal on its own, obviously, there are a lot of people who are nonverbal who can sort of communicate through other means that they consent and understand. Um, We've got a section on consent in the pathway that goes through all the legal sort of requirements um, in terms of disability.
0: Okay, thank you. That's great. Um, thanks so much, Misha. We're going to move now over to um, Grampian's Public Health Unit. Um, welcome, Rosemary, and thanks for providing your update and reflections.
3: Thanks very much, uh, Bianca. Can I say I really enjoy these echo sessions because I think you've them really well and they're incredibly informative. So thank you very much for inviting us here on a weekly basis. Um, first of all, with respect to the state of the nation, um, as we know, we're in the middle of an outbreak and as of last night, there were 137 active cases in Victoria. Um, what we've noticed, as you would have noticed listening to the media, is that there seems to be a creeping westward and so we're uh, quite worried actually that there's something um, as these things move through natural you know, transport and communication lines that um, we need to be particularly on guard. We here in the Plains Public Health Unit Uh, have been supporting Metro Melbourne with um, managing and supporting a whole lot of exposure sites, but also some of those exposure sites are uh, returning positive cases thick and fast. Increasingly, people are in quarantine when we do that, but we do know that that impacts on our capacity to do that, given that we're a relatively small public health unit compared with the Metro public health units are about 10 times our size, which is understandable. They've got about 10 times the population. So um, uh you know, we, we are trying to um, keep up and we're doing fine at the moment, but there is pressure. And that actually has um, an influence on our next steps for vaccination because, in general, we're looking at the next few months in vaccination as optimising the four elements we need to actually effect vaccination. And they are a workforce, the models of care and approach, which means all vaccinators are involved, but also we're looking at particularly people who may be disinclined to attend a community vaccination centre or have their own GP. And part of the work we've been doing across the Grampians now, as I'm sure every other vaccination hub is doing also, is to stratify our population with respect to people with special needs who need in-reach or community pop-up vaccination centres that we can do, things like that. Um, The third element, of course, is vaccine supply. And Misha's talked to that. And the fourth big element is demand. We need people to actually bring their arms to us so that we can actually vaccinate. If, if any one of those four is missing or suboptimal, then we're just not going to get the coverage that we need. So essentially our plan for the next few months is to ensure we're working to optimise all of those four things. We've been working in partnership very well with our region, we think. Um, and, uh, I, 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 and, of course, the primary care teams are absolutely critical in that. Um, You might be interested to know that although, um, as you've shown, Bianca, Ballarat has about 50% of our community and region have now had a first dose. Um, The newspaper here yesterday decried that we're slipping behind and how, you know, this was a devastating situation to be in because Geelong and Warrnambool have reached ahead. And so, you know, we haven't increased and increased our our output as much as Geelong and Warrnambool, which I think is quite unfair because, in Mm. fact, Um, I think Victoria is punching above its weight overall, but particularly regional Victoria and particularly the regions covered by this primary health network, I think, are punching above their weight with respect to getting vaccine into arms. So in time, vaccine supply will go from being patchy and unreliable to steady and increasing, as Misha has talked about. Um, The models we think are working well and, indeed, the model we have here in the Grampians region around um, uh, reaching people who may not have their own primary care team or are just inclined to come to a community vaccination center are now being replicated across the state. And we've started doing that work in February. Um, and then, of course, I think what will happen with demand is that there'll be a, it's kind of an S-shaped curve that we'll actually get to a critical increasing mass of people demanding. And I think that's in two things. One is people become more comfortable with the options that we have available. But also people see their friends and their colleagues and their family members getting vaccine and they know, I think, that will help them incline towards getting a vaccine for themselves. So those four things are the things we're working to optimise and we can see that all coming together, um, provided there are no vaccine shocks and provided we don't have too many more opportunities to change the requirements and the eligibilities and the warnings and the risks and the communication around it, which almost feels like people have been tried to, you know, it's been to keep us on our toes because of the changeability but i think it goes down to what kate astutely described with respect to people with mental illness that in fact um, we're looking at people who are at risk who for all of those reasons either have someone in their household who's at risk and they need to be vaccinated to protect them or indeed will be struggling to potentially adhere to public health actions and the requirements upon them should we need to actually require Public health actions of them. So, for that reason, as I'm sure Bowen has done too, we've targeted especially our homeless populations. For example, knowing that there's often a comorbidity of mental illness and other conditions, but also homelessness makes them particularly at risk. So that's just an example. So, uh, with respect to um, accessing community vaccination centres for people for, from for patients from GPs who aren't themselves doing vaccination, like Misha. We accept a letter from a GP and we don't question it. It's not it's not the role of the vaccination nurse immunisers to question the information that a GP who knows their patient has written in the letter. So we'll, we're we're really, uh, as as my colleague Robin Wilson has said, we're being very pragmatic about it. And if someone presents for vaccination and we have vaccine supply and we can accommodate them, we're not turning them away.
0: Thanks, Rosemary. That's great. Um, you know, guys, how do you how do we feel? So this eligibility is uh, you know, written black and white, but it's not black and white. And as Rosemary's described, there's some areas that really help us work within the gray about what is the reasonable thing to do, what is the thing that's going to um, you know, help the vaccination effort from that individual perspective, but also that public health perspective. Um, what are the kind of you know, pain points, struggle points that still bubble up for you? We've got time to talk about them now, whack them in the chat. Um, Rosemary, you made comments. About the data you mentioned, you 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 gave your impression of those slim hips.
3: Yeah, sure. I think I think the reason we've got the you know the unvaccinated, then the orange band of first doses, then the blue dose, the blue band of um, completed second dose, is because the AstraZeneca interval is twelve weeks, and the Pfizer the Pfizer interval of the younger people is um, much shorter. So I think in time we will see that blue expanding as people come to have their second dose. I think that I think it's encouraging that we've got that, um, you know, that fat belly in the middle, which is of the first doses. And while, of course, we then need to work to make sure people do get their second doses. It is um, it is a, a, a quirk of the data that we do have different intervals for the doses for the vaccines for which they're eligible. And I think that, in part at least, explains why you've got those blue delays in the uh, um, in that middle age group of fifty to seventy.
0: Go oh, exam. it's the other so way around. Sorry, it's the other way around.
3: It's the orange hips. It's, I,
0: I, it's those orange hips.
3: It's the orange hips. So I think that I think the orange second dose being the gap there between the first dose. I think that's explained by the AstraZeneca interval. There may be other reasons there, of course, but partly I think it will be because of the AstraZeneca vehicle, the AstraZeneca vehicle uh, um, interval interval um, between. Whereas if you look at the um, forty to fifty, that would reflect the um Pfizer interval being much shorter
0: okay great and just quickly on that what's happening with the public health units right now in terms of intervals with Pfizer and AstraZeneca in the context of the 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 outbreaks up and down that we're having how are you managing the um intervals
3: Victorian recommendation is still 12 weeks for AstraZeneca and three to four weeks for Pfizer
0: oh so um so you haven't had to stretch to the six for Pfizer oh uh, sorry for for
3: Thanks for pointing that out. For uh, workers, for aged care, healthcare, and disability care workers, it's still three weeks. But for other okay. people,
0: you're right. It has stretched. That's correct. Okay, great. And, and so in primary care, we're still doing the three-week interval is my understanding. So make sure, well, let's make sure I've got that right. But three, nothing changed in primary care, um, but things did change in the state rollout because of... Um, yeah, trying to get more jabs in arms. And, you know, interestingly, um, you know, I was speaking to um, I'm Ocean Grove, the grapevine plays out, but actually the grapevine's uh, Raph Epstein, um, our, our our fella from Barwon Heads who hospitalised, put into ICU, um, was speaking to Raph Epstein and, and he said in in this, so it is public, um, that he was pretty much told that if he hadn't had that, first, he only had the one shot, but if he hadn't had that first shot uh, of, vaccine he wouldn't be with us today so i thought that was a very compelling personal um story and uh you know one that i think is you know might change hearts and minds so that concludes the panel presentation for this session we'll bring you any other snippets that we can but come along and join the discussion next week i'm going to now hand it across to you uh linda govan oh thanks bianca ah i think that's my slide from last week
4: anyway that's okay Um, we don't have an update about the liability scheme at all other than um, knowing or hearing that the the government are working on it with the peak bodies including AMA so as soon as we hear something we'll share it with the group Um, in regards to Pfizer um, there is another I guess sweep of of practices that the Commonwealth were were doing yesterday evening they asked us to just make sure that we had all our EOIs in and up to date as of five o'clock yesterday so at the moment there's 50 yeah 50 practices who are Um, involved in Pfizer at the moment we expect we don't know how many more will come on but again the messaging from the Commonwealth is that as many practices that that put their hand up to be involved in in administering Pfizer will have the opportunity by October and obviously that's as um, supply comes on board as well. I guess the other key activity that's keeping us a bit busy this week is um, just a few practices calling out for, for extra AstraZeneca. So that's been interesting. And we, we just put a call out to practices in the local regions and that's um, and, uh, enough practices have put their hand up that we've been able to meet, meet those needs. So that's just a bit of a coordination facilitating sort of role in the last few last week or so. So that's, um, that's good. And again, the public health units come come into play. Um, We've had a couple of practices that hadn't quite got through their Pfizer stock and was getting close to its um, expiry date. So the the public health units are able to um, assist with that and take that on board. Um, And the other activity that's keeping us busy is around uh, RACS. We've got ISOs or International SOS um, in the region. Um, They're starting in Geelong tomorrow, they're setting up a hub in, in one of the aged care facilities in Geelong and that will be providing um, Pfizer to aged care staff and volunteers who need first and second doses. So they'll be set up for a week now and they'll be coming back in another, in another three weeks for the second dose. And they'll also be doing outreach or inreach across the region. So within a one, a, a one hour travel radius from Geelong, if RACF staff need uh, vaccinations, they can go into that hub or. Otherwise, the team will go out to them in their sites. And the same process in Ballarat. There'll be a hub setting up on the 24th of August. And also they'll be doing in-reach right up, the Grampians, right up to um, into the Wimmera. So, again, just lots of um, phone calls and coordination with ISOS and the racks there to, to hit that 17th of September deadline. We don't have any um, actual information from the Victorian State Government about the, um, I guess, the public orders around that mandatory vaccination requirement, but we are waiting on that as well so they're the issues that probably keeping the team busy in the last week and again if you need PPE we've we got some extra supplies so um, just use our online ordering form and probably in the slide previously so a little bit out of order today but we did meet with the Victorian Pharmacy Guild yesterday just to get a better understanding of what the process is for pharmacies um, The best way to find them, and I'll pop it in the chat, is find a pharmacy, which is there just a link that will identify the pharmacies that are administering AstraZeneca. Um, And we will continue to, I guess, connect with pharmacy and support them and invite them along to this forum as well so that um, everybody's, you know, having that collegial working together
0: approach. So, Bianca, I reckon that's about it. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Linda. That's great. Okay, so team have put in the chat um, the link. So Katrina Pilbim put in the link of... Which GP clinics are doing Pfizer? So if you're not a Pfizer clinic, that's where to send people to in your region. I think GP Pfizer clinics are smashing it out west, and those are going to that's going to really kick off. I think you said today there's the new lot. Linda, is that right we'll, from today?
4: We'll hear there. We'll hear within the next few days, or pro, you know maybe by Monday. They were they were pretty much gathering up the list um, last night and then going through who would get the next. Um, yeah, get the nod.
0: Yeah. And still active EOIs, so if people are interested, keep keep reaching out to you guys. Yeah, the majority of practices have put an EOI in, but
4: definitely mm-hmm. if you're interested, just yeah, put one in.
0: Yep, and uh and covid inquiry at westpic P- is where to go for all your vaccine yep. um, delivery questions workforce. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Um great session. Uh you know, jump onto the evaluation, it's somewhere there. Survey monkey, grab it. If you didn't get a question in, but you've got a question, whack it in that survey. I don't, you know, if you don't have time to complete the rest, that's fine. Just do the free text, send me a question, or um just shoot um the team, the echo team a question during the week, because that's what um how we create these sessions from the ground up. Uh we're still doing your acronym points. Oh, I want to tell you about the Vic Gov are doing a um COVID vaccine for healthcare workers part two. Um, so you can register for that. And I think there's a link in the chat. Yep. So if you want to get on to the VicGov, um, Tom Schultz is the new, uh, I guess, Ben Cowell, if you like, um, and I think Vijay Rofe, uh, Roach and, of course, Prof. Maggie Danchin's is the um, hesitancy comm skills expert. So you'll be hearing from a star lineup, as well as Anita Munos probably moderating it. Um, so awesome, everyone. Take care. We'll see you next week. Uh, keep those questions coming through and we'll keep those conversations going. This series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Missbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Missbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project ECHO COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.